Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we catch you up on the biggest local and state stories that you might have missed. Stories like these. We have to understand how it's possible when this kind of shootout is captured on film that there were no charges of any person. There's a shootout in Austin. Our number one concern should be about getting those people prosecuted, not a headline diverting attention away from the fact that we have not had a comprehensive plan for violence in the city of Chicago. Look, we are nearly at a state of emergency in our need to address crime. We're very concerned about it at the state level, but we need local leadership, including the corporate leadership, to step up and help our cities. Our panel today is WTTW political reporter Heather Sharon. Hey, Heather. Happy Friday. Hey, Sasha. We made it, like you said. And WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Sasha. Let's start with some news from earlier in the week. And that was the tension between Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. I'll come to you first, Heather. What happened to set off this blame game? Well, it really started on Friday when there was, by all accounts, a massive shootout in the Austin neighborhood that involved several cars pulling up to a house, opening fire, and then the people inside the house returning fire, wounding two people and killing a third. Police officers even witnessed some of the exchange of gunfire and arrested people that they thought were involved in it. But there were no charges filed, and that brought a furious reaction from Mayor Lightfoot and several West Side aldermen who blamed state's attorney Kim Fox. However, the fact of the matter is, is that the Chicago Police Department's chief of detectives was, while this was all playing out Monday morning, was testifying before the city council about the police department's $1.9 billion budget proposal for 2022, and when asked about it by Alderman, acknowledged that the police told Kim Fox's office that they agreed that there was not enough evidence to charge anybody in in connection with the shootout because the people involved refused to speak to the police and the video footage captured on the city camera did not make it clear who had a gun and who fired that gun. And that has really set off a full week of back and forth between the mayor and the state's attorney, which just a few minutes ago apparently ended in a series of simultaneous but not joint statements between Kim Fox, David Brown, and Mayor Lightfoot, which essentially said, we will agree to disagree and we will make mouth noises about moving on and working together, although there is clearly no resolution to the shootout, the lack of charges, and then the political conflagration. I see. So Fox's office, based on what they received from CPD, rejected charges in the shooting because they said there wasn't enough evidence. But the mayor is saying, Heather, that, you know, by not pressing charges, Kim Fox is sending this message that crime will not be met with action. What did Fox say back to that? 
Yeah, I don't think it's accurate to say that Fox's office rejected charges. So the process works, you know, the police department develops evidence and they present it to Kim Fox's office and say, look, we think this person should be charged with X and that person should be charged with Y. But as part of that process, the police department acknowledged that they did not know who had a gun and who fired the fatal shots or any of the shots. And there seemed to be until this became sort of a political flashpoint that the police department had more work to do. And I think the question is whether Mayor Lightfoot was correct in putting the blame on this on Kim Fox. Now, Kim Fox would say, no, that that's wrong, that it was inappropriate and it was not correct, whereas the mayor keeps hammering it that this this lack of charges is Kim Fox's fault. And in fact, she sent out the mayor sent out an email to her campaign supporters directly blaming Kim Fox for the lack of charges, which did not make it clear that the police department also agreed that there was not enough evidence for charges. Meanwhile, Chicago Police Department Superintendent David Brown waited in and he said the blame lies at the doorstep of the courts, not law enforcement. Does he have a point, Patrick? Well, it's interesting when Superintendent Brown made those comments at that city council hearing that Heather was talking about. Uh, Chief Detective Brenda Dinahan was at that hearing. And so Brown said, somebody has to be charged. Let the court sort it out. And then Chief Detective Dinahan said, well, actually, we don't have enough evidence. So your question, if he has a point... His own chief of detectives undercut the point he was making. Uh, Brown and Lightfoot throughout the past year have been hammering the courts for Chicago's violence problem, pointing the finger at the courts and saying it's lax prosecutions, uh, bail decisions by judges that are, are contributing to lawlessness. I should say there are some horrific examples of people who are out on bail or accused of committing new crimes. However, we at WBEZ have repeatedly asked the mayor, asked the superintendent for evidence for his claims, you know, any data to back it up. And this, the Chicago Police Department has refused to provide data to back up Superintendent Brown's claims, blaming the courts for Chicago's violence. Let's talk a bit more about Chicago police. Uh, just this morning, the independent monitor overseeing CPD's compliance with the consent decree came out with their latest report on how reform efforts are going. Did you get a chance to take a look at the report, Patrick? What do we know? I did, yeah. It came out a little before 9 this morning. Uh, this is the fourth report by the Independent Monitor. Chicago is in the consent decree, as you mentioned, which is this court-enforced police reform plan. And what I was able to read of the report this morning so far the monitor found that CPD and the city are in compliance with about half of the requirements that the monitoring team evaluated this reporting period. So they were looking at the first six months of 2021. They looked at 500 different obligations for the city and CPD. And again, the number is about 52%, I believe, that they're in compliance. So obviously, in school, 50% is a failing grade. And the monitor's team says there are things like staffing shortages and the city's reliance on citywide police teams that are hurting reform efforts. But the city points out this is the best monitoring report they've had. They've made progress every, you know, sort of reporting period. They're, they're pitching this as good news as a sign that they've really gotten serious about reforming the police department. 
I want to turn to another story that happened this week. Heather, you brought this up earlier. Superintendent Brown was in the hot seat at City Hall on Monday when some aldermen were grilling him about the police budget. What were the main takeaways? Well, the police department's budget is growing about $200 million this year, or it's set to for between 2022 and 2021. The bulk of that growth is due to the fact that police officers are set to get a raise under the terms of the new eight-year deal that the city council approved just recently. So there are no new positions. There are no real sort of new initiatives. The department does plan to hire more clinicians to help help officers cope with the trauma that they experience on the job and to improve officers' mental health after a year that saw three officers die by suicide. But most of the questions Alderman had, it wasn't about the West Side shootout, which really sort of derailed the budget hearing. It was really about the sense that there are too few officers on Chicago's streets, even though Chicago has set aside the money to pay for them. There are nearly 1,000 vacant positions in the department now. Uh, Most of those are sworn officers. And many aldermen, especially those on the Southwest and Northwest side, are concerned that it will be almost impossible for the city to hire enough officers to fill those vacant positions. And David Brown agreed that it was going to be a very difficult task and said that the department was trying to strike the right balance between moving quickly to hire enough people, but also to not hire the wrong people. And he has clearly said that in the past, under previous pushes to staff up the police department, the police department hired the wrong people who ended up involved in misconduct allegations and who ended up not being the right fit for the department. So there wasn't really a resolution to that, but it is clearly one of the big challenges facing uh, the police department this year and well into next year. And uh, the mayor is uh, planning to boost police spending to $1.9 billion in 2022, right? Up from $1.7 billion in 2021. How is that money supposed to be spent? Well, like I said, it's mostly pay raises for police officers who worked for four years without a police, without a contract. And over the life of the eight-year agreement, so it's four years retroactive and four years in the future, they will end up making about 20% more um, once the deal expires in 2024. That is the bulk of the cost to that. But it comes a year after the department eliminated almost 600 vacant officer positions. So um, there is a lot of concern that while this budget is just a huge amount of money, there is sort of a growing sense among some aldermen that there aren't enough officers. And there is really a belief among progressive aldermen that the the officers that Chicago does have aren't being deployed in, in the right way, leaving the department really at a crisis point. And the next steps in the budget process, Heather? Well, we'll finish up budget hearings today and on Friday, and then next week the city council will start the formal process of passing the legislation that will put the budget in place, which means that we're just about to enter into the behind-the-scenes 
sausage making part of the budget process and all sorts of things could change between now and the end of the month when the final budget is set to be adopted there are many many points of negotiations including the plan to use about 31 and a half million dollars to start a cash assistance program to Chicagoans hit hardest by the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, speaking of the budget, Patrick, while the mayor is seeking to boost CPD's budget, the group that oversees CPD won't benefit from any extra dollars. What's happening with COPA, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability? Yeah, so COPA is the agency that investigates police shootings and and serious allegations of police misconduct. And it was created in 2016, sort of in the middle of a lot of policing scandals here in Chicago. And it was a way to say we are going to have an independent and effective police accountability system. And one of the things that was written into the ordinance when it was created was that it had to get at least 1% of CPD's budget. Mm -hmm. But they are not meeting that number. The city has never met that number. Uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa at the budget hearing put it that the city uses kind of creative math to make it appear as if it's it's meeting its own ordinance, but it is not. So by ordinance, uh, COPA is underfunded. I should say at that hearing, the head of COPA said, you know, I understand the concerns about that, and, and I do think the calculation is something that should be looked at, but the budget that we're getting this year is the budget that I asked for, and it's the budget we need for COPA for, for the next calendar year. This line item in the proposed budget isn't going over well with everyone on city council, as Patrick mentioned. Tell us more about how aldermen are responding, Heather. Well, I think there's a real sense that tools like COPA that were put in place after the police murder of Laquan McDonald to reform the police department and reform the way the city handles police misconduct are really not working. And we're in a moment of limbo because the city council has approved the creation of a civilian oversight board that would have some policy authority over the department, and it would also have a role to play with picking the chief administrator of COPA, which I should mention that has not had a permanent head since May. And it's really unclear how that new body will interact, not just with the city council, but also with COPA and the police board. And I think there's a lot of aldermen had a lot of questions about whether the city is really prepared to create this board and to correct the problems, you know, so many years after Laquan death um, to really get at police misconduct in Chicago in a fundamental, effective way. You know, I love covering the budget every year. I know that makes me a nerd, but it tells you what the city on an institutional basis cares about. And the mayor's been very clear that she sees this budget as a moral document. And I think what a lot of aldermen want to know is, does this moral document represent a real commitment to police reform and to allowing officers to not be held accountable for misconduct. I think that's very much an open question. I love that you cover the budget too, Heather. (laughs) And Patrick, I love that you cover crime because then I can just call you onto the program and you can talk about it. (laughs) That's Patrick Smith, WBEZ criminal justice reporter and Heather Sharon, political reporter for WTTW News. And we've got plenty more news to get to, including these stories. I tell you, every time I come to the greater Chicago area, there's somebody I want to steal and bring back to Washington Gov. I've done it a couple times, you know. <laughs> An employee resigned on the face of allegations of sexual abuse. This is part of an ongoing investigation into sexual abuse of minors 
at the park district's beaches and pools. Most of our focus has been on the map. We need to get the people of Chicago, as we're going to Alders and saying, we want a transparent process, elevating the goals of making communities whole and elevating the voices that many have, but are oftentimes ignored and unheard. So let's jump right back into it. President Biden made good on his promise to reschedule his Chicago visit that got canceled last week due to negotiations on his infrastructure bill and raising the debt ceiling. So, Heather, how did his visit go? Well, he was in the Chicagoland area, Elk Grove Village, to be precise, to tout his support of vaccine mandates. And this would require most Americans who work to get vaccinated or to be subject to regular COVID-19 testing. And he was here to make that pitch. And it is always a big deal when the president of the United States comes to town, even in a big city like Chicago, which was why you saw Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot, along with U.S. Representative Mike Quigley, hightail it out to O'Hare to be on hand on the tarmac to greet the president when he got off Air Force One. But we know now that there was a little bit of some sort of, you know, back and forth between the mayor and the president. Yeah, exactly. And the mayor ended up riding with the president in his motorcade to Elk Grove Village, where he spoke, um, but didn't stay for the president's speech. We think now because she was meeting with state's attorney Kim Fox about the fallout of the West Side shootout. It's not quite clear what happens between the president and the mayor. The mayor's staff, as well as the White House staff, are saying those are private conversations that they don't discuss with the media. But it certainly sort of dimmed the uh, a little bit of the good news story that both the president and the mayor and everybody else was trying to tell this week in the Chicagoland area. So we don't know for sure whether there was a clash between Biden's camp and Lori Lightfoot? We don't, but I think that for those of us who cover the mayor regularly, um, and even in this back and forth that we've seen with Kim Fox, the mayor is not one to bite her tongue about perceived slights or when she feels like somebody has not met the mark. And you can certainly be somebody who thinks that is a good thing, that, you know, Mayor Lightfoot certainly does not suffer fools or people who don't sort of come up to snuff. The question is whether that's really sort of what you want to bring to the president of the United States's attention, especially at a time when he is under increasing pressure to raise the debt limit and get his infrastructure package passed and reshape the social safety net with literally trillions of dollars, some of which you would assume uh, the mayor wants to see come to Chicago. So, you know, I think there's been a lot of chatter about whether the mayor's decision-making process really serves the city or whether it serves herself. And I think that's a story that we'll all be trying to report from, you know, here to uh, eternity, essentially. Patrick, another story from this week. This one has to do with the richest guy in Illinois. Billionaire hedge fund manager Ken Griffin said that he may move the headquarters of his investment firm due to crime in Chicago. And he said, quote, Chicago is like Afghanistan. On a good day. He also laid blame on our governor. What do you make of this story? Well, I think that every elected official, um, every public figure who has the opportunity to help needs to take some level of responsibility for the violence crisis that we have going on here in Chicago. But I, I mean, I don't care about what a billionaire thinks about it. I don't know why Ken Griffin would have anything really to add to this conversation. 
Uh, I think his criticism is fair, but he, it's not like he has some unique perspective or really even much of a perspective, a valuable perspective at all on what's actually going on in the neighborhoods in Chicago that are suffering from this violence. How did he respond? Um, Pritzker's response was, one, uh, a spokeswoman for the governor said that, that Griffin is a liar, particularly for a part where Griffin said that Governor Pritzker rejected his calls to send in the National Guard during last year's civil unrest. And Pritzker himself said, you know, let's remember that Ken Griffin brought you former Governor Bruce Rauner. Griffin, I believe, was the largest donor to Republican Governor Rauner besides Rauner himself. Uh, There are lots of people, uh, Pritzker himself, who blame the budget issues that we had under Rauner for some of the violence issues we have here in Chicago. You know, it disrupted services. It cut off funding for anti-violence programs. Pritzker said Griffin deserves blame for Rauner's agenda, which he says hurt Chicago and particularly the Chicago communities that have the highest levels of violence. Well, we're just about a year away from the gubernatorial election. Griffin has a history of backing Republican governors. So, Heather, what does your political reporter Spidey Sense tell you about what this foreshadows about the election season? Well, it is going to be an interesting one, and I think the big question that a lot of Illinois Republicans are asking themselves right now is who Ken Griffin is going to back in the battle to deny J.B. Pritzker a second term. There are a host of Republican candidates who have already announced that they're running for the party's nomination, but none of them seem to have sort of occupied a central place in the contest at this early date. So the question is, how do you break through? And one of the ways you do that is with a whole bunch of money. And Ken Griffin has a whole bunch of money. And J.B. Pritzker, of course, is a billionaire, too. And he's going to spend freely, we assume, to win a second term. So the question becomes, is can a Republican that does not have the support of Ken Griffin be competitive? And I think that most people think that they can't be especially because Illinois has turned into a solid blue state, at least in terms of presidential politics. So that is the backdrop to all of this. Although, of course, I will say as a Chicago native that this narrative of likening Chicago to a war zone, to Afghanistan, has been around for so long and really echoes some of the rhetoric that we heard as far back as 2016 from former President Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. who you used exactly those words. And it struck me that during this interview, Ken Griffin sought to sort of downplay Donald Trump's hold on the the Republican Party nationally and in Illinois, while echoing some of his really most incendiary rhetoric, which comes to Chicago, which is, of course, a a city where the majority of people are black or Latino and have many ways found themselves at odds with the former president while he was in office. So it is a complicated dynamic for sure. Heather, as aldermen work on new ward boundaries, there's this independent group that's pushing its own version of a remap that could dramatically reshape Chicago politics for the next decade. So tell us, who is behind the so-called People's Map? Well, it is a group that is primarily led by Change Illinois, and Change Illinois is really considers itself sort of a good government group, and they have been pushing for an end to gerrymandering for many years now. And this is their attempt to craft a map not sort of authored by the people who will use those votes. 
And what's really interesting is that what they did was to basically, as much as possible, keep the boundaries of Chicago's community areas and neighborhoods. And if you put their map over an overlay of Chicago's community areas, it's very contiguous. And that is not what the word map looks like today. The word map today will carve up neighborhoods like Englewood. It carves up neighborhoods like Logan Square. And they do that, of course, because that was designed by aldermen to make it easier for them to get reelected. So that is really what, once we get through the budget, we're going to head head first into this debate over the map because the city council is facing a December 1st deadline to either endorse a map drawn by the city council itself or whether there'll be at least 10 aldermen who vote for this map or even a third map. And if that happens, then this all heads to voters in 2022 who will make their pick for a map, which would really be unprecedented because it's never happened before and it would really sort of throw everything into chaos about what the balance of political power will look like for the next decade in Chicago and how black Chicagoans and Latino Chicagoans and Asian Chicagoans will sort of divide up the city to ensure that those communities have political power in Chicago. It's fascinating. I love it. Oh, wow. Well, let's turn to another big story. This one around the Chicago Park District and the ongoing investigation of uh, sexual harassment and abuse among its lifeguard program. This week, a Park District supervisor was suspended and then resigned. What do we know, Patrick? Well, we know that this is the fourth uh, Chicago Park District worker to quit over alleged sexual misconduct with an underage employee, an underage lifeguard. You know, this city's investigation into alleged sexual abuse and misconduct in the lifeguard program has been going on for more than a year and a half now. As I mentioned, it's the fourth person to step down and it's just not going away. I mean, obviously, this is such a serious thing that needs to be fully investigated and and we're continuing to see the fallout from it. Cook County State's uh, attorney, Kim Fox, also put out the call for victims of anyone within the Park District to come forward themselves. What are the details there? Yeah, uh, Fox put out a hotline. I'm just going to say the number in case there's anyone listening who who it might apply to. The number is 312-603-1944. And Fox's office is asking anyone who was the victim of sexual abuse or misconduct while a lifeguard at the Chicago Park District to call her office. They have launched a criminal investigation into allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct. There's also a separate, I mean, it's also a criminal investigation, but a separate investigation being done by the public corruption unit of the state's attorney's office. And they are looking at the way the park district has handled its own investigation into these allegations of abuse. There's already been a resignation and a firing of people who were involved in the investigation. And Daniel Opolis here at WBEZ continues to report on that. Absolutely. Kudos to Dan on that excellent reporting. And I want to repeat the number you gave us, Patrick. That was 312-603-1944. It's for victims of anyone within the Park District to come forward. Uh, Before I let you both go, another headline this week that caused some eyebrows to jump. That's actor David Arquette bought Bozo. So WGN sold the ownership rights to Chicago's beloved clown. What is your reaction, Patrick? 
Uh, well, so I didn't grow up in Chicago. I didn't grow up with Bozo. Uh, apparently, <laughs> according to the news reports, David Arquette really loves Bozo. Uh, but also he's planning to use the character in a circus in Brooklyn, which doesn't sound very cool. I didn't know that Bozo was a, a Chicago thing. It is a Chicago thing. It is? Our very own. I mean, Absolutely. Well, it, it had far reach because I knew about Bozo and I wasn't even in this country. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, as the lifelong Chicagoan, Heather... Well, Bozo was on WGN. He had a sweepstakes game. And when I was a kid, it was literally the height of celebrity to be able to play the grand prize game. And, you know, it was one of those toss the ball into the buckets. And, of course, you never made it all the way to the end. And it was cheesy. And it was Chicago's. (laughs) And I saw this story and I tweeted that this was another case of, of news mad libs because it just does not make any sense to my eight-year-old brain that David Arquette, the actor, would own Bozo, who seemed to be an indelible (laughs) part of the Chicago landscape growing up. So that's why we're all in our fields about it. You know, us native Chicagoans who wear that cloak too heavily sometimes. The end of an era. (laughs) Yes. That is WTTW's Heather Sharon and WBEZ's Patrick Smith. Thank you both for breaking down the week's news with me. Thanks for joining us for the Weekly News Recap. To really understand the stories behind the headlines, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Then please take a few seconds to give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.